Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of Fight Fight for Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my audible African-American Athletes Who Made History on Amazon. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gate, the Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lewis Moore. Uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Almost done with the semester, so I'm, I'm super pumped up. I think we got like two and a half more weeks, so I am feeling good for now. And yeah, Next week, I got to start grading, but right now, I feel great. I know this is uh, the end of the semester. We finally made it uh, looking towards summer. We get that special time of our calendar where we will be done and our kids still have three weeks of school or more left in the year. Uh, that's an opportune time for us to actually do uh, research and writing, hopefully. Or just work out and chill at home. So we'll see. We'll see. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> See what the future holds. Organize my pencils before I can write five <laughs> few paper clips. So yeah, no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna teach summer school online, but other than that, I'm gonna work on that black quarterback book. So I got you know, like Derek always says, I'm a hoarder when it comes to stuff. So I'm I'm pretty much closed on the research. I have one more newspaper coming in that's in that I'm super. Don't roll your eyes. I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped about it. Uh, so. Um, I'm, I'm excited after that though, I'm, I'm done, done. And just going to start writing, um, eventually. So there <laughs> eventually. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a lot of sports. Let's see. When's the last time we did? I don't know what we missed. Cause we've been, uh, we've been on hiatus cause it's, it's been a pretty slow, uh, in our realm of sports, it's been pretty slow. Uh, it picked up a little bit. Uh, we've had, uh, the Brian Flores case continue to go with two new coaches added to it. We've had, um, uh, what else we missed? Oh, the NCAA basketball champions, Kansas Jayhawks, who, uh, uh, as the Kentucky fans like to say, vacated has about to win its second national championship. Uh, <laughs> South Carolina, <laughs> South Carolina won. South Carolina redeemed themselves after yeah. my University hey. of Kentucky beat them in the SEC tournament. And NBA uh, is hitting playoffs, and and this is why we're here. Baseball. Baseball, baseball, uh, is back, back, back from his strike. And, you know, uh, I am uh, admittedly uh, well behind on my baseball knowledge. So we had a we had a phone a friend. Uh, yes. And and, and uh, who did we bring in today? Oh, Lewis man, Moore? we have. Oh, it's been about a year and a half, almost two years since we have this special guest. We have Bradford William Davis. Uh, the 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 great writer, investigative journalist Bradford, and and maybe the greatest mind on baseball. Who who can can we ask this? Who'd you get in a fight with? <laughs> with the New York Yankees, or, or or so? What didn't somebody from the Yankees get mad at you or something? This is a hell of an intro. <laughs> First of all, great feedback. <laughs> Second, what which fight? Oh. I'm not saying there wasn't a fight. No, but I'm just saying which fight. No, something happened. You, oh, not, maybe some. Uh, you asked somebody a question. Someone got mad at you. But maybe so. Maybe it wasn't a player, but like another journalist got mad at you. Or am I remembering this wrong? Um. Well, relevant to Jackie Robinson, there was a journalist on the beat who wrote a column a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, over a month ago, I guess at this point, about um how uh the MLB and the Players Association should just figure things out and get back to playing so that uh, they don't miss Jackie Robinson day. Oh, uh, and, oh. you know, and so, and so uh, that, you know, and so, and so the, and so if you read the article, it's basically like both sides need to figure this out, figure out this labor dispute. Um, and if we don't, then Jackie's legacy will be dishonored to which I said, leave Jackie's name out your mouth, but with, uh, an expletive right How, okay <laughs> <laughs> that must have happened too but i was thinking I, it wasn't like a garrett cole thing situation but anyway maybe i'm miss maybe i'm just old and i'm forgetting things we'll go with the jackie robinson column uh, <laughs> no i mean i to my knowledge i'm cool with the players if you hear something uh, if you hear something in the okay. streets let me no, know so okay. i can okay. smooth things over but <laughs> my bad my bad my bad but anyway welcome welcome back and, and we brought you here to because as we said we're gonna talk not only baseball, we're going to talk Jackie Robinson '75, um, and and mm -hmm. also who, what black players we should be watching out for this year in, in 2022. So, 
I'm super pumped for this show. Um, so let's let's get let's get rolling because because I am Ti Red and and I'm ready to go to bed. So we gotta get <laughs> we gotta get this thing going. So uh, you know, so this is the annual conversation that we have about Jackie Robinson Day that's coming up, right? What what has happened to the African American? Uh, baseball player. And I think that one of the things that we would do, even though we've had this conversation amongst ourselves, and if we're part of the kind of knowledgeable production of baseball uh, history and and scholarship, this is a kind of longstanding four decade old conversation. Uh, But this is someone's first podcast about baseball and black players. So can you quite, you know, in a short kind of explain to us what has happened to the black African American in particular baseball player since, you know, the, the, the 1970s Pittsburgh Pirates, we are family where mm-hmm. there was, you know, like 14 black baseball players on a, on a title winning team. Right. So what has happened? I mean, you know, obviously J- Jackie Robinson, um, reopened the color barrier, let's say, you know, in major, in major league baseball by, you know, signing with the Brooklyn Dodgers and making it all the way to the show. Um, and with that came a uh, mass exodus of the Negro leagues and a mass infusion of um, minority athletes, you know, mostly black and also, you know, but, but also many, like when I say black, I mean, black American, but also Latinos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and at one point, you know, in the seventies and eighties, there were, about like 20%, you know, um, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to find ex- the exact statistics because, you know, how you identify versus, you know, what, you, you know, you know, your lineage and all that can be a little muddled, but it was about 20% black people, you know, in playing in major league baseball, um, uh, a, you know, a decent ratio, um, that has declined significantly since, um, I forget the exact number at this point, but it is, you know, it is low. It is like, you know, I, I would, wager without googling about six seven percent mm-hmm. at this point you know and it's been you know it's but it's, it's been gradual but it's been very real and players talk about it all the time it's been like you said it's a 40-year conversation um where where have the black athletes gone um they are you know many of them are playing other sports frankly you know other other leagues have become more competitive um that wasn't the case and where like baseball was the, you know was the most sort of uh had the most lead time, I guess, a head start, you know, in the United States, as far as like organized, structured, competitive pro sports, mm-hmm. uh, team sports, I should, I should say. Right. Um, and, uh, but as, you know, the fo- as football and basketball built up similar sort of infrastructures, they were able to re- you know, reach some of those talents. Um, the other thing is, you know, frankly, the, though the pay in baseball is very good, the, in order to get that pay, you have to go through quite a lot and arguably more than the other leagues. Um, you know, you have, you know, when you get drafted, you are not, you are, you may be a pro, but you are not a major leaguer. And when you are a pro, but not a major leaguer, you are making poverty rate wages. You have to, you know, uh, sleep on horrible buses between, you know, sundown towns <laughs> as you play, <laughs> as you play your minor league games. And, uh, and if you are a talented athlete who is also skilled at say football or basketball, and you have the ability to get picked in the, you know, especially if you got picked in the first round, that's the whole Kyler Murray scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely understand why you would not choose baseball. Because even if you get a good signing bonus, it's still many, you know, potentially at least two usually, but, you know, but often five, six years of grinding it out to develop the skill worthy of being able to play in the major leagues while being, while making, you know, again, poverty wages, literally as defined by the federal poverty rate, lower than poverty, you know, but uh, lower than, lower than those that uh, federally defined poverty line. And then um, baseball culturally is one that is hostile to black people. And of course, to be clear, you know, all institutions in the United States are in some way hostile to black people, but mm-hmm. baseball specific, specific pain points um, are a real deterrent to black people wanting to play. Um, you have a lot of uh, teammates who uh, are, you know, have different have political views that, I would argue advance the subjugation of, of, of black folks. Um, and, or even if they happen to not be particularly political, they, you know, they often harbor biases that the people feel. So do coaches, so do managers, so do front office, so do front offices, so do GMs. Uh, black players, black athletes are typecast, similar mm-hmm. to football to be clear, but like, you know, it's, but typecast in certain roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and uh, 
not valued for their more cerebral uh, capacity. So things like, say, pitcher or catcher, you will not mm-hmm. see many, if any, black pe- black players in those positions. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly if you are someone who uh, has any thoughts about your place in the world, I can imagine, I can also understand you maybe not wanting to play baseball. <laughs> if, uh, you know, if, uh, an other, if another sport, you know, calls, knowing what you have to deal with on a day-to-day just from your just from being the only person on your team, the only one in the room at all times for, you know, the next, you know, two to 18 years of your life. Mm. Um, that is really hard. And um, I've spoken to people who, you know, who would say, who described it as like almost a PTSD that a lot of these mm. uh, black vets and, and retirees go through of like, you know, of having to uh, suppress so much of themselves, of their culture, their style, um, in order to fit what they sort of rigid and, um, for lack of a better phrase, white normative, you know, um, expectations mm-hmm. of, of Major League Baseball that aren't true to this, to nearly the same degree in football or the NBA. And, uh, and you know, that, that is extremely hard. It's, that's, that is taxing. And I, and I completely understand why it makes uh, everything from, you know, older athletes not, you know, uh, not want to play baseball or you know, not want to play baseball if they have the option to younger fans just not tuning in because they don't see themselves you know, uh, represented in that way. Um, baseball is also expensive. I guess it's a fourth thing, you know, it's a, it's expensive sport to play. You know, it needs to be, uh, subsidized if you are, you know, even, even for middle-class folks, people are, you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars. It's really hard. I have a friend, uh, Puerto Rican friend of mine who lives in, in Boston and he's thinking of moving to Texas because like to pay for a batting cage for his son, who's like really into baseball and is pretty good. Like it just costs too much money in the wintertime. So he has to put, you know, so, so you likely have to go, um, Mm -hmm you know, down South in order to afford to help his sons, you know, help support his son's, you know, dream. Um, which means you're moving people out of say urban centers, many, mm-hmm. many located in North, Northeast and the, and, uh, and the Midwest, you know, where, where there are cold seasons and, and where you just don't have, uh, the same, the, the weather is not as conducive, but also you don't have the financial support with which to, um, you know, join the travel team or, you know, or pay for that batting cage or go to the high tech pitching lab to you know add a couple miles to your fastball like all that kind of stuff is just you know the the, the, the anything that has an economic reality to it certainly has a racial reality to it and mm-hmm. um and that further uh discriminates against black american players no that's a great summary i i want to pick up on this last point about one of the things that's interesting to think about baseball and lou i'd love to because you've been doing this work with the negro leagues is to think about how baseball had as you point out, this huge kind of lead time as the the kind of the oldest team, most organized team, professional sport in American uh, history before NBA, before NFL, before uh, hockey uh, really gets a foothold here, at least in the United States half uh, of North America. Um, and what's interesting is that baseball, one of its inherent advantages is that it can be played anywhere. One of the things that's really kind of stark when you look at the old Negro League highlights is how how black kids are playing this with sticks and rocks and balls and like any kind of way that they're formulating this, this, this thing. And now what we see in 2022, and this is this same as true for a lot of sports, but this thing is like, now you got to have a high tech lab and a, a pitching, you know, a batting cage and you got to pay for a personal trade. Like there's this, you know, there's so much additional kind of cost um, and this kind of professionalization of youth sports and 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 so Lou, like can in your work how do you think of the, how does this kind of play itself out for us thinking through you know just a longer trajectory of all professional sports but baseball in particular yeah and the other thing too is you know the new technology like the oculus right oh like uh that little visor that you could wear i mean i have one so to describe it so you could you could do hitting <laughs> practice uh with the that oculus a, now that was a hu- humble brag right there just uh, humble brag. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we, we big time we don't even use it anymore i don't think anyone's used it for like a month it was fun after christmas but i mean you talking about batting right like you you buy a subscription and all of a sudden it's like real so i was talking to a guy a baseball trainer he's like yeah it works like like all my guys are on it and we pay a subscription and my daughter has it you know grandparents pay for everything but that's that's you know that's that's access right and i think it's kind of 
you know, lack of a better term, the middle class of sports, right? Where where you're just gonna buy. We've talked about this before, but you're just gonna buy your kids' way into a scholarship or into opportunity. So even basketball, you know, training, you know, training costs money. AAU camps cost money. AAU travel teams cost money. Like a basketball travel team costs, you know, a really good one costs. I got a buddy who's paying five thousand dollars to to right. pay to play travel. Um, and, and so it 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 eliminates people because I was talking about this in my class today. I got a bunch of football players in one of my classes and I'm like, how much does it cost to play football? Not that much. Right. It's subsidized. They'll take care of your pass. They'll take care of the insurance. You just gotta, you just gotta show, show up. up. And even when it's the travel stuff, seven on seven, that just costs money. You just come in with some, some t-shirts and, and some cleats and, and we're throwing the ball. Um, but back in the day, it, it almost seemed like there was opportunity because, as, as as Bradford said, the game had a head start. It was America's game, right? And so even though baseballs might have cost money, right, they're pretty expensive, uh, like a really good ball. But you could find it. You could find a cheap ball. You could you could you know uh, roll up rags. Um, even when we talked to basketball, right? Um, who do we have? Spencer Haywood, right? They mm-hmm. rolled up shirts and stuff like that. You could get away with that because everybody was playing, and eventually you'd find a game, you'd hone your skills, you'd get better, and you'd just grind it out from the age of like fourteen on, right? Like, like no trainer, no lab. Yeah. We're just we're just gonna we're just gonna play, and I think you know the ability to have the opportunity to play and play a lot on the sand lots with, with the only thing that costs you is time. I think you get a lot more players out there and there's no distraction, right? There's no like, okay, I'm going to go play basketball. I'm going to go play. I'm going to go play football. And, and really your, your options in life was factory or, or the field. Right. And I think that changes for, for a lot of people. And the other thing too, what, what allowed some guys to have a come up, was you know the factories were there and they were high they'd hire you if you was good right and so like there's incentive to be good at baseball especially if you're in the south like birmingham uh city with, with great talent like you know like you know willie mays and willie mays's dad like there's there's factories and mines out there that would hire a black play guy just because he was good at baseball and and you can get a job you could have a career so i think you know from a uh, mm. a long time ago these guys are like this is this is a way out just an opportunity, even if it's like five bucks a day or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to, you know, having to go in that coal mine or compared to being a sharecropper. Uh, but those opportunities were there nowadays. It just seems like there's, there's really no opportunity unless you have money. Um, unless, unless you're lucky enough to be around where maybe a major league team has invested in you, maybe something's going on or, or a city's invested in you. There's just, lack of opportunity to play and it you know basketball hoops all around right and, that's and real man go play like near near me um so I, where i grew up in queens right i grew up in a like you know a solidly middle class to affluent neighborhood right you know it's a range but like um and the little league field there was like always pristine you know like i'm not even sure it was a public park for that matter like but it was a you know it might have been a, a field owned by the little league if i'm not mistaken um, the point is, it always looked good, regardless of who was paying for it. Um, the Little League weekend in, in my neighborhood, in Harlem now, got canceled because it was rainy from Monday through Wednesday. Even wow. though, even though uh, Friday was like perfect, like 65 degree, sunny spring weather the entire day, Saturday's games were all canceled. They tried, but it was just too muddy. Mm. You know, like that, you know, there is someone with, with, with the power to, uh, maintain better upkeep of a Harlem sandlot that is choosing not to like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. it start it starts that early, you know, but, but it's, but that's that real. Um, and I, it wouldn't surprise me in many literally, you know, um, parks in more affluent neighborhoods, whether it's public or private, you know, have better conditions, um, right. uh, for, you know, to ensure that games don't get banged if there's bad weather 24 hours before <laughs> the game starts. Um, so like that, you know, um, but you're right, man. Like it's like, it's like these, you know, um, these, these, uh, interlocking systemic, you know, factors that create, that lead to the talented 10 year old kid decide, eh, <laughs> I'd rather hoop. Right. Well, and I and 
Yeah, and the other thing too in the field, like you know, the the greatest player of all time, Eric Davis, talks about this. Uh, <laughs> like I just thought I did. You know, growing up in LA, like the field, you would have to. I mean, it's uh, lack of better terms, it's gang infested, right? You you mm-hmm. you want to go play baseball, okay? You know, and if you're Eric Davis and Daryl Strawberry, well, there's the Bloods and Crips right there on, on the same on the same field on the same park, mm-hmm. right? Doing what they do during the day or night. Um, and what's amazing about these guys, they still came back when they were pros, they actually came back and trained there in the city. You know, it was Daryl, uh, Chris Brown, not that Chris Brown, but baseball player, Chris mm-hmm. Brown, Eric Davis. And they would say, we want to be an example. Right. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. the gangs would leave them alone, but if you're not those guys and the gangs have taken over the park, I don't, you know, I don't want to go like full Dun- Tony Dungy on you at this moment, <laughs> but if they've taken over the park, then that's it. You're done. Right. If, if, or, if there's, there's only one park to play, right. It was cost benefit analysis there, right? Like that's what that I think what you're talking about is that they, you know, kids are making decisions that are, you know, in many ways, you know, about their safety. And and those are those are real live decisions that, you know, middle class, affluent suburban kids don't have to to necessarily make. I want I want to change I want to change gears just a little bit, think a little bit about Jackie Robinson, um, and think a little bit about how he, you know, his introduction into big league baseball in 1947 how does he change the game right like what you know what does he do not just with his presence but like his style of play does he introduce a different style does i know one of the things that's very clear to me as a as a scholar when i look at the field it's like jackie robinson is playing in fast forward and everybody else is playing in a little bit slower pace and i don't know if that's just just my own bias into into reading in this film but really thinking a little bit about you know is there a dynamic that changes with his presence as well as the other negro league players that come in uh in the way in the years after his uh breaking the color barrier uh bradford do you like when you think about it do you think of is, is there a way we could think about that or am i just off base here well i can't i can say this um jackie robinson was a crazy talented athlete yes. not just baseball player but oh, an athlete you know he was a d1 um i believe uh track and field and football you know starring and UCLA. basketball yeah yeah and basketball. and basketball yeah i've heard it said that baseball was his worst sport <laughs> he was and i think he was pretty good at baseball which says a lot but it goes back to that that point we we're making about um baseball having at least an infrastructure for like you know profit based and career you know like having mm-hmm. a career in it where like you know maybe Jackie Robinson would play football if he was born thirty years later, you know, mm-hmm. rather than baseball, just because you know you can get paid in football now at that point. Um, but uh, but yeah, so he brought a you know um, he definitely brought in athleticism. He stepped you know I think likely when he stepped on the field he became almost immediately the best athlete <laughs> on you know uh, <clears throat> on most teams uh, if not all of them. Um, and I think that was probably true of many of the, 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 that first generation of people who followed it, followed with him. I mean, think of all of the black players who immediately won rookie of the year and like MVP awards, <laughs> right, right? Like it, it, it shows how much of a joke pre 1947 integration, you know, uh, segregated baseball was if like literally like every black player is like a superstar, <laughs> more, more or less was like, you know, anyone who's not like Pumpsy Green was like really good, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, um, almost, you know, like almost immediately, you know, um, you know, that Satchel Page was like wrecking fools, at, like, you know, in this 40s and stuff. It's 48. Um, yeah. So like that, I think, it, I think it speaks to um, how much talent was in, you know, the Negro leagues that like, and, and again, guys who could have been playing, you know, who could have been LeBron or, you know, or Aaron Donald or whatever, like of their times, just to, you know, just playing, you know, all, all those sorts of athletic potentials all being funneled into baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, of course, being segregated from, you know, Major League Baseball because of, you know, stuff that doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be regurgitated. Um, you know, uh, they were, you know, they added a athletic, you know, I think an athletic component to the game that was um, that had to have been overwhelming given just how good they were. Yeah, right, no, right. Go ahead, Luke. I, w- I would say, too, just real quick on Jackie's athleticism. Jackie couldn't play football. He would have played professional football, but but it was segregated, right? So it segregates in 1933. And that's the other part right. about Jackie. We don't get Jackie if football wasn't racist uh, right. post-1933. But the way to think about it is just the way Negro League played a lot of times is small ball, right? So someone like Rue Foster, um, who, who gets a lot of credit for this, he, he – 
he built his teams on speed and just moving the base runners over, right? Whereas MLB, you know, post Ty Cobb, you know, a little racist, but you know, but you know, if you look at Ty Cobb's number, he's still in bases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's moving, and then after that, like it just declines, and everyone's trying to go Babe Ruth style, Babe Ruth style. And I think once you get Jackie in and others that follow who, who have some speed, the game just moves a little bit more, right? So the, there's the oh my god, this is book one of those edited volume where there's a, a decent article on Jackie Robinson about jazzing the base pass, right? Where it's just about mm-hmm. running and stealing and stuff like that. Um, now, now he's not not like a He's a speed burner, but he's not a major stolen base guy. But still, I think it's just it just brings that element. These Negro League players are bringing that element back into the game. Um, the threat of not only stealing but taking second base, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just just moving mm-hmm. along. So, so I think that in itself, as, as Raffer said, that the athleticism, but then that threat of athleticism, and it's a slow trickle, right? We have mm-hmm. to remember that it's it's Jackie. And then Larry Doby, who who himself was a tremendous athlete, um, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. he played college. He played college ball too. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then it's like old Satchel, and then that's when you start to see some some guys who can move, like Willie and Ernie. I'm not leaving out Roy Campanella, Don Gluckum, or anything like that. Yeah. But you know, these guys are like legit, you know, legit athletes coming into the game. And even someone like years later, what 20 years later, like a Reggie Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Like, have you seen like young Reggie Jackson? <laughs> like, yeah, like late nineteen sixties Reggie Jackson who played what did, he played football at Arizona State if I'm not mistaken. This dude was was yo before people were doing steroids and and weights, right? Like, <laughs> right. Reggie and Reggie's dad, if I'm not mistaken, played Negro League ball too, right? It's just a different style of play where where it's it's speed and then it's speed and power, and that's why you got the greatest player ever, Eric Davis, coming in. Um, <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I love I, that yeah. prefix. Yeah. I I, well, I, I did this. I brought this up in some ways to think about, like, f- for Lou and I, at least, Bradford's a little younger than us, maybe a little bit, <laughs> uh, <I> mean, <laughs> right? Um, is that for us in the in the 80s, right, like, baseball still had a significant number of black players in the 80s. And there was – but one of the things that I I look back on it and see so much speed, like, the, the kind of style is completely different than the analytics. Like I watched the world series last year and you know, where guys were pitching, like, you know, they threw 14 pitches and the manager pulled them out and the shift was on and you know, baseball. And then it's become so situationally oriented. And I think back to, to like, like I opened my football book with a story about the 79 Florida A&M where the, where the kicker on the football team is Vince Coleman. And I think of that as like one of the, one of the interesting kind of ironies of the thing is like, Vince Coleman is probably the fastest person on the entire football team, and he's playing kicker because he's going to go lead the Major League Baseball for like, you know, six out of eight years in stolen bases. Like, you know, he steals 100 bases a year. And this dude is like, you know what I'm doing in my spare time? I'm the kicker on this on this football team. And I think a little bit about how him and Tim Raines and Eric Davis and, and yes. young Barry Bonds, like Ozzie, Ricky Ozzie Henderson, Smith, yeah. Ricky Henderson, yeah. Ozzie Smith, like that whole generation of guys were like, could play with power but they also play with speed and and to when i watched baseball i took my kids to the baseball game last year to see the reds and the padres and it was a pretty exciting game by you know major league standards my kids didn't think so but one of the things that was very noticeable was just the lack of excitement on the base pass first to third you know like you know stealing bases like that kind of you know just kind of pushing the action is not there it's very much a much more like the game has always been conservative but it's so conservative and what does that do for black players who you know possibly like like not to oversell a stereotype but some of whom are much more athletic or thrive on athleticism and working their way through the system from 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 little league all the way to the major leagues and I'm glad you said that because I again I don't want to oversell the stereotype either because you know many of the black players who play today are like even though base dealing is de-emphasized they are the jet often the speedsters on their teams mm-hmm. um, and uh, that is not because you know of fast twitch fibers or anything in my opinion I think it's just because the people who do get um, push into baseball. Um, are you know um, are, are pushed into it because they see an ath- they see athleticism and nothing else you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so uh, to give you a concrete example of that actually um, I remember talking to Cameron Maven about this in 2019 
when he was on the Yankees. You know, uh, Cameron Maven is now, uh, I think, a Ye- Ye- uh, Yes Network, which is like the Yankees regional uh, sports network uh, analyst, but like, but you know, but well travel veteran. Um, and uh, he had kind of a, kind of like a second wind in his career with the Yankees because he had a hitting coach telling him to hit the ball really hard, basically, <laughs> uh, which is something that he had not heard through most of his career. In fact, he had to be emphasized throughout uh. his career because he was so fast. They're mm. like, oh, well, you know what? You're going to be Juan Pierre. Remember Juan right. Pierre? Who's yeah. also a, right, right. an awesome, fun player, to be clear, yeah. right? Yeah. But like, you know, but Juan Pierre was not a power hitter. You know, no. he did not have, that was not part of his game at all. Um, it was, you know, it, it was making action by, you know, with, with bunts and, you know, running out singles like a, you know, poor man's Ichiro, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, you know, but Cameron's like, I always had this in me, like this kind of like slugging. And he was like, he almost like 500 that, you know, and, uh, you know, as a, as a, like a part-time role player, but like, but, but clearly playing on a high level. Um, I always had an enemy. I just had it de-emphasized throughout most of my career, except until I came to the Yankees and I just hit a coach. Who, by the way, happened to be black? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and a former teammate of his, Marcus Timms. Um, and uh, who was telling me, like, just put your A swing on it. You know, we know, you know, we know if you do that, like, you'll get the best results. And that, like, you know, led to something, you know, that led to, that led to something that, you know, to something that many people did not know he, he was capable of. And you know, I guess right. typical fans and everything, which is a shame because Cameron Maven was a top prospect coming mm-hmm. up. He had a good career, but as a, as more of like a journeyman, you know, fourth outfielder type, you know. Yeah. Um. He, you know, but he was a top prospect. He was traded for Miguel Cabrera, who's like, you know, a no doubt Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know, the uh, the Marlins lost that trade, you know, tremendously because Cameron Maven did not become, you know, a player as good as Miguel Cabrera. Um. But like, what if they told him, hey, you know. Don't just play to the stereotype. Elevate the ball more, right? You know, maybe maybe he's maybe he's a 30-30 player rather than you know mm-hmm. than just Juan Pierre, you know. Um, and so, but anyway, that 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 with that aside, like I think that um the um I, I think that there is probably a lot of analytical truth to the importance of like not getting not making outs on the bases, right? Right. Which we of course everyone knew to be true, right? You know, obviously it's not like you know, news, but you're able to quantify it a little more now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what the actual value of like, you know, say, you know, uh, getting caught stealing or, or being too aggressive or whatever is, and it's high, you know, it's like, it's like bad, in a negative sense high, you know? And so, um, th- and so that is like slowly de-emphasized, you know, um, base stealing. But um, to me, that is a, that saddens me in a way because it because it, it, you're right it does reduce the dynamism of the game you know in the game that many black players have bought in the past and to me if you're losing that dynamic part of the game you need to start thinking about how to change the rules in a way to bring it back mm-hmm. just like in basketball when you know um when we talk about like say like the three point you know revolution right mm-hmm. which is great obviously like you know no shade to Steph Curry at all right who's who's mad exciting but Plenty of shade to like you know the 2018 Houston Rockets taking like 63s and making two of them because it's the analytically smart choice to make, right? But one of the things that I think he's he's really getting at is is that baseball is in this this interesting moment where the analytics are telling you to not yeah. run, and then because uh, it is it's a negative thing, but it's also hard. How do you account for? And this is something that me and you can think about a little bit here. Uh, is how do you account for um, the pressure that Ricky Henderson puts on so many right. people? You know what I mean? Like, the, right. So like the, the, you know, when you're talking about margins of pitchers where you're talking about, do you, you know, you're, are you hitting the corner? Or are you throwing it right. down the middle? Right. right. Are you throwing balls? Or are you throwing strikes? Like Ricky Henderson's threat to steal seems like it forces pitchers to not be as good. It forces catchers to be a little quick out of their things because they're so worried about the steal. Or it's got the shortstop coming over to try to, you know, cover the base and create no- like all these things. Like, how do we measure that? Like, you know, I don't know. You know, like this is not a statistical wheelhouse, and I'm sure they try to quantify it. But I think you can't really get inside someone's head, right? And so every time you by de-emphasizing the steal, like now the pitcher doesn't have to think about that nearly as much. It that anybody or right. there's a whole roster of guys, you know, like the St. Louis Cardinals or we're talking about, even the Oakland A's with Ricky Henderson, that they would come back and really push the push the base pass. Like what does that do in terms of 
the ability to to uh to to really pressure um pitchers and 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 catchers and fielders in terms of making plays i just think it's a it's a it's a sad tradition that like as your 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 story about eric davis i think is it speaks to it no I, I i think you're right right you you lose the element we're talking uh stolen bases here but you you use an element of the, of the game right where where the pitcher doesn't have to worry about um throwing over right um the pitcher doesn't have to worry about the threat of steel um and and i think that's baseball at its best right when people are, are moving taking chances stealing bases yeah and so like we said in the 1980s when we're growing up i mean we always say like baseball was had its chance to be cool in the 80s and and part of these guys is speed and power right it, it's it's um it's it's tim rays is eric davis um, I saw a picture the other day of Eric Davis, his rookie year. He's wearing a Mercedes Benz chains, right? Like, like it's not that big. It's not that big, so you can tell that signing bonus wasn't that great. <laughs> um, but it's still something. You're like, okay, baseball. You know, baseball can work with this, and, and you know, they got some. And we'll we'll ask Bradford about this, but they got some young guys, not just Tim Anderson, but Jazz, well, Jazz Chisholm and stuff like that. That makes the game can make the game potentially exciting and, and change it. Um, but I just think in total, as we, as we kind of, at some point wind down here, like what's lost is that baseball never decided to emphasize that it never decided to emphasize it's black players, like sell them, market them. We talked about this with Mookie Betts a couple of years ago. Right. Um, and, and I think they always, and, and we'll see it coming up, right. Baseball was always just satisfied with being the league that brought you Jackie Robinson. Mm. And and because they did that seventy five years ago, they feel like they don't have to do anything else, right? And and I like to think about it like this: like I watch, I'm a, I'm a steal from Martin Luther King here. I'm not I'm not King, um, but if you ever watch, um, what's that one? Uh, Eyes on a Prize. I think it's the la- the one where he, where you know he's assassinated and, and he's talking about it, and and talking about like economic opportunities. One of the things he says is like, look. Integration costs America nothing. Like it costs zero dollars to integrate. But what's coming next, economic justice, that's gonna cost you, right? Like the years of structural inequality that build up this gap, that's gonna cost you. And I think baseball is the same way. Integration costs baseball nothing, right? Having Jackie Robinson, having Willie Mays cost them nothing being being this league. But the lack of investment, right? If if you really want to build this game, if you want to break down those structural barriers, that's going to cost you, right? And I think that's base. That's has to be baseball's mentality. This idea that we're gonna we're gonna eliminate these barriers, right? The legacy of Jackie Robinson is going to be we will eliminate these barriers and we will bring up bring this game back, right? So if it's at twenty percent, high twenty percent in nineteen seventies, that should be the goal and that should be the only goal. And how do you get there? And and, and I want to be fair too to that that we may not ever touch that that twenty percent goal, but I do think that there's a, a very clear lack of embracing of black players, black talent black black style um from mookie Betts, but uh, but mm-hmm. bradford i want to hear this because we got i want before we get here I, I want two points here one is is that one of the things we talked about a few years ago with the lack of marketing of mookie Betts is that the major league baseball has been pretty terrible at marketing in general uh, uh would you say that or is it like or maybe i'm just not it's just not marketing to me because i feel like the nfl one of the things that is done is like you know we are watching the draft and the combine free agency, the schedule release has its own day, like all this stuff building up for NFL. Uh, college football has a lot of long kind of uh, runway leading out. Uh, the NBA season, now we're looking at free agency. The first day of free agency is like, you know, 24 hours of ESPN. And, you know, baseball is, it doesn't still have that same kind of push, even for opening day. Um uh, it doesn't have the same push for the off season. The winter meetings are like, oh, they're having the winter meetings, and it's like the fourth segment of ESPN. Um, and so, 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 and, and you know, there's no push. I mean, not they didn't push, they don't push any of their stars on the national. Like my kids can't name any of these these players, and and my youngest is a huge sports fan, and he's just like, I don't, you know, because the ads don't come up regularly enough for him. So, so what is it that they need to do? not just for black players, but for major league baseball to capture, to recapture another generation. Right. I mean, I think it's hard to distinguish, you know, it's problems marketing black players and problems marketing period. 
Because, I mean, so much of, like, you know, what moves American culture is, you know, black cultural production, you know? Like, and that's been true for, mm. like, since, you know, emancipation, essentially. <laughs> as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as we all were able to start making stuff, like, you know, we made the best stuff as far as it comes to, like, you know, art and culture, you know? Um, and, uh, and so when you uh, sy- systemically marginalize uh, the people moving culture out, <laughs> out of your game, it becomes very hard, I think, to promote it. Um, and then you, and then you have folks like, you know, um, you're forced to try and figure out what to do with Mike Trout, um, who is, uh, which is not to say that white people can be unmarketable, but he, uh, has made himself unmarketable, which is again, his, you know, his prerogative, but like, he just doesn't Mm -hmm. care. He'd rather Mm -hmm. like show up on the weather channel and be a doof and talk about the weather. Um, and then hit (laughs) lots of home runs and be, you know, the, the quietly, the great one, the greatest athletes to (laughs) to ever play any game. Um, but that's, you know, but so when you're, but when you're. What, but it's sort of, again, it's it's a byproduct of, like, who are you bringing in to play your sport? Who are you drawing? Who are you attracting? You know? Are you attracting, you know, are tra- attracting people who are more naturally attuned, you know, to what, you know, to what moves this, this country? Or, or, or are you not? Um, so, yeah, they, you know, um, I think, I think that they are improving a bit in recent years um, with, like, who they're focusing on. You're seeing in a lot of the spots, like you know the you know the the, the more dynamic personalities um, from you know Mookie, you know getting you know getting more love in, the, in in this way to a guy like Ronaldo Cunha Jr. of the Atlanta mm-hmm. Braves, who's incredibly fun and exciting to Shohei Otani, who um, yeah. is into, who has a, a global fan base and is a very interesting and cool person. Right. You know, he doesn't speak mm-hmm. doesn't speak, speak English. You know, but um, to you know degree that. You know, my trout does, but you know, but it doesn't mean that you can't find <laughs> find find interesting through lines. Um, and also, you know, the there are more fans than the people in the you know within the, the United States. So, um, you sh- so regardless, <laughs> like you know, you should be pushing Shohei Itani. Um, so yeah, I'm seeing a little more of that. Um, but um, I'm just kind of like you know seeing who the the stars are and letting them shine. But you know, but again, a lot of it comes to again a, st- a stodgy culture. That has been, you know, um, further reinforced through um, how who baseball has system, systematically uh, diminished and, you know, um, <clears throat> leaving and and, it, and that gap being sort of uh, taken by just, you know, white athletes uh, pl- not playing the game, but, are, but well, you know, playing the game, you know, with with with, with their cultural hegemony um, and diminishing black people or any, or anyone who falls out of line with, you know, the way people think that the, the, way, the way these people think that the game should be played. Um, you know, we, if to give you even a very recent example of this, um, Freddie Freeman, the great Atlanta brave, um, who a recent MVP winner. And, you know, he, he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, good for him. He's making, you know, he got paid. Um, someone asked Ronaldo Cunha um, on a, I believe it was something broadcast on Instagram live how he felt about, you know, his longtime teammate um, leaving. And Acuna said in Spanish something to the effect of, you know, um, eh, it's not that great. He was, you know, constantly dogging me for, like, you know, this, the, the length of my dreadlocks and, you know, how I wear my uniform and stuff like that. All these things are a code for, like, you know, he didn't like that I was <laughs> a black, you know, Latino man, like, in, in the way I – and uh, and how I and how I, how I played the game that way. Um and he was constantly being, you know, sort of the dugout cop <laughs> for me, and mm. it was and it, it was a real drag. Um, so uh, you know, again, and Fred, again, Freddie, I've never heard anyone say a poor word, bad word about Freddie Freeman until like you know two days ago, essentially when Acuna went on IG Live. So you know, in fact, Ronald Acuna probably hasn't you know um, heard heard that publicly anyway, which is why he actually denied <laughs> denied it on Twitter, even though the <laughs> video was right there, just in Espanol. So all you, all, you, all you need is good Google Translate next to you, and you can see hear exactly what he said. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, that is an, that is an example. I'm sure that happens constantly, you know, where, um, where cultures that do not fit the, what baseball has chosen to be the norm, uh, get, you know, sort of diminished and pushed out. Yeah. All right. So this is our last point we got here. All right. So who should we be watching? What, give me those five black players that, that our listeners who are, are coming here may not be huge baseball fans, but they want to get up to date. So they don't have to keep citing Eric Davis as their favorite player. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, we, wow. Well, hey, we mentioned Mookie Betts. 
But uh, I should go without saying Mookie Betts is, is one of the best players of his generation. He is he may not be quite as good as Mike Trout, but that is okay. He is he is far more fun, and he's got two more rings. Um, oh, on the east, on the east, yes, on the oh, east and west coast. Shots fired. He is so yeah. he is he's is, he is so fun. He can pick it in right field. He's a, he he really is someone who could play, be center uh, play be a center fielder easily, but he just needed to play right because he had Jackie Bradley Jr. next to him in Boston, who was you know a Gold Glove caliber center fielder. So, um, so yeah, he's an amazing defensive player. He does make action in the bases. He's got thirty home run pop. He hits for contact. He does it all. Um, and uh, you know he you know when he when he is healthy, he is right there with any single person you know single person in the game. Um, let's see among uh, another I guess. On a star caliber player, I would, I would say Giancarlo Stanton of the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, no one hits the ball harder than Giancarlo Stanton. It is incredible to watch, and being you know in New York and be able to watch him both live and you know uh, live when at the games or just on my television set, it is crazy how like he never get. He may not he may not always lift the ball, but he never gets too bad of a hack at a ball because it always like you know flies off at you know, mm. some crazy, what they call exit velocity, you know, the speed of the bat, you know, of the ball leaving the bat. Um, and when he truly connects, it is majestic. It's monumental. It's church. <laughs> like, so I highly recommend it. And um, and, what, and one thing I, I've been able to see with your call is that he's really um, been someone who has been down for the cause of just black people, not just in baseball, but in, but in general. Like, and that's something I, I think he really, I really, um, uh, displayed after um, the George Floyd, Breonna, Breonna Taylor protests oh, wow. that, you know, um, that paused the country alongside the pandemic. Um, he was the guy who was willing to, you know, to, who was who was like the first in line um, to speak about, you know, um, issues of race in and out of sports. Um, and, hmm. uh, you know, spoke very candidly about growing up in Los Angeles. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I remember he told me driving off, uh, He's driving. He used to get off the exit, same exit where Rodney King was beat. You know, like mm-hmm. like he's the kind of person who will t- he will bring it there. You know, on a on a Zoom call right. or, or, or media scrum when you know when the time is right. So uh, so as a you know so you know again I I can't say I know these people like I, you know like I know my mom or anything, but like but as a you know but from as a player as a person like you know he's a he's a he's a he's a fun person to follow. Um, so that's two right. Then uh, I guess to get past um a little bit of the star tier, um. Hunter Green, I think, is next. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Pitcher. Yeah, we're talking a lot about Cincinnati Reds here, right? Um, but Hunter Green um comfortably, easily, casually throws 100 miles an hour. The same way Jim Carlos Stanton casually hits balls 110 miles an hour, he's throwing he's throwing them over 100. Um, as a starter, too, which is which is rare as well. Um, there are relievers who do that often, a few, but like they're not starters who sit at 100. Hunter Green sits at 100. Um he also has a wipeout breaking ball, um, and uh, he often doesn't know where it's going. But when he does, <laughs> it is, it is a but you know it's right. He's a rookie. He's a rookie. So yeah. So, so he has time. Well, sounds like sounds like Don Newcomb. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah. He, he has time. He has time to figure that out. And uh, and so if you you know so when so when he's commanding uh, his fastball and his breaking ball, you know like I I think he has no hit stuff and maybe you know some of the absolute best stuff in it of anyone in baseball. Right now. So, um, uh, I, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, um, I talk a lot about certainly about the, the absolute lack of black pitchers in major league mm-hmm. baseball. And then again, there are a lot of reasons, you know, mostly racism reasons for, for that. Um, and, uh, and especially, you know, um, there are very few black, uh, starting pitchers, uh, currently in part because starting pitching is harder, but also when you, you know, uh, cannibalize that talent base for making them either play basketball or play center field, you, yeah. you, you know, you lose, uh, you know, uh, you lose people who are not just athletic, but, you know, uh, smart and athletic people who can, you know, be potentially be, you know, dominating for six, seven, eight, nine innings mm-hmm. a game. Um, anyway, so there are not a lot of black starters. Um, there are not, there are arguably no black aces um, mm-hmm. current in this game currently since CeCe Sabathia retired and David Price is on this, you know, uh, as he's getting older. Uh, Hunter Green seems to me among younger players to be like the next chance of such, you know? Um, wow. on a, uh, guess a, a more veteran level of a black pitcher who's worth watching. It's Marcus Stroman of Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Stroman, um, he is, he plays with such a confidence and a swagger, 
um, that is just absolutely delightful. You know, he's a dude who, uh, as uh, the great Shakia Taylor uh, mentioned, is, you know, someone who uh, has, with great intentionality, picks, picks the color of his do-rags. Right. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, you know, and, but wears them on the mound. And sometimes gets shaded on, you know, on by, like, broadcasters for his jewelry or, 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 his, or his, you know, choice to protect his hair <laughs> like while right. he's pitching. Um, like, I think, I think it was uh, Rob Bradley who, at, you know, who asked uh, sarcastically, you know, never seen Tom Seaver, you know, uh, you know, or I wonder what color Tom, color, color do-rag Tom Seaver was wearing or something, something like that. Something, yeah. something stupid and, and clearly racist, you know, when, back when Stroman was, Stroman was in the New York Mets. But yeah, but Stroman, you know, he doesn't have Hunter Green's um, super elite 100 mile an hour fastball, but, you know, he, he works with a, with a, with a, a sinker roll. Um, and excellent command. And when he's commanding and, you know, and, and using that sinker ball, he just racks to the ground balls. He goes deep into games um, and he does it with a flair and finesse um, and mm -hmm. a joy. He's also a great, he's a great athlete. He's very, he's, he's a, he's a short, he's a little guy, which he, um, and he has any, he, he carries himself with that little guy chip on his shoulder, but he, <laughs> but, but despite being little, he is very athletic. Um, and yeah. so he, he often is, uh, makes big time defensive highlights um, as a pitcher. All right. And, Five, I mean, it's hard to choose, so I'm going to go with a 5A, 5B. Um, one, as far as just keeping in the theme of uh, potential black aces, is does Josiah Gray, the Washington Nationals, he is, uh, you know, someone who is very methodical with the way he pitches, you know, but also has big stuff. He has one of the nastiest curveballs um, in the league at the moment. And, you know, he's a big, tall dude. You know, um, he actually got traded for Max Scherzer, who's a great player. A long time national, but it lasts last season. And if the Nationals are good ever again after you know totally scrapping that that team, um, and apparently they're, about, I think they're about to sell the team. <laughs> um, like it will be because of guys like him, you know, uh, maxing out on the talent. So I'm hopeful that he's that he's great because again, we I, I want to see black starters, you know, do the thing again. And then, um, you know, I can't leave this man out. And that's Tim Anderson. Uh, yes. Tim Anderson, like when you talk about like. Uh, swagger on the on the field it's him like you know he uh he exudes confidence he is unapologetically himself at all times um it has gotten him in trouble uh but it has been worth it <laughs> every time it's gotten him in trouble and it has made people it has made his fans love him more um you will see a guy who is uh athletic who uh his real skill as a player is just um being able to kind of hit any pitch anywhere you know he's mm -hmm. a traditional bad ball hitter you know what i mean like mm -hmm. he's he's so he's so aggressive, but he also has the talent to kind of like attack anything, no matter you know how you how you approach him. And so he's a he's a tough out for that, for that reason. Um, he you know he runs hard in the base paths, and uh, and I'm you know and and when he plays big, you know when he has those big clutch hits, uh, you'll know it because he will let you know it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so and so it's a, it's a joy it's a joy to uh, see someone. Not just uh, confident, but um, but electric, mm -hmm. you know, in That's his confidence. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge uh, fan of watching Tim Anderson. I hope that you know he uh, just gets all his flowers, you know, uh, over the next decade of his career because he he really is that dude. That's all right. That's awesome. That's it then. I, and on that note, you don't, you don't know what we had to go through to get this show done. So <laughs> on that note, we are out. Thank you again for, for coming on this show and, and blessing us with your baseball knowledge. Um, and, and Derek, you got anything? No, no. Thank you, brother. As always, man, appreciate you being up here. And with that, we are out. All right. Peace. Peace. <laughs>